0: Letter thirty-four of Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume Eight, by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty-four. Mr. Wyley to Miss Clarissa Harlowe, Wednesday, August twenty-third. Dearest Madam, you will be surprised to find renewed at this distance of time and addressed so positively, though so politely discouraged. But, however it be received, I must renew it. Everybody has heard that you have been vilely treated by a man who, to treat you ill, must be the vilest of men. Everybody knows your just resentment of his base treatment, that you are determined never to be reconciled to him, and that you persist in these sentiments against all the entreaties of his noble relations, against all the prayers and repentance of his ignoble self, and all the world that have the honour to know you, or have heard of him applaud your resolution, as worthy of yourself, worthy of your virtue, and of that strict honour which was always attributed to you by every one who spoke of you. But, madam, were all the world to have been of a different opinion, it could never have altered mine. I ever loved you, I ever must love you, yet have I endeavoured to resign to my hard fate. When I had so many ways in vain sought to move you in my favour, I sat down, seemingly contented, I even wrote to you that I would sit down, contented, and I endeavoured to make all my friends and companions think I was. But nobody knows what pangs this self-denial cost me. In vain did the chase, in vain did travel, in vain did lively company offer themselves, and were embraced in their turn. With redouble force did my passion for you renew my unhappiness, when I looked into myself, into my own heart, for there did your charming image sit enthroned, and you engrossed me all.' I truly deplore those misfortunes and those sufferings for your own sake, which nevertheless encourage me to renew my old hope. I know not particulars, I dare not inquire after them, because my sufferings would be increased with the knowledge of what yours have been. I therefore desire not to know more than what common report wounds my ears with, and what is given me to know, by your absence from your cruel family, and from the sacred place where I, among numbers of your rejected admirers, used to be twice a week sure to behold you, doing credit to that service of which your example gave me the highest notions. But whatever be those misfortunes, of whatsoever nature those sufferings, I shall bless the occasion for my own sake, though for yours, curse the author of them, if they may give me the happiness to know that this my renewed address may not be absolutely rejected. Only give me hope that it may one day meet with encouragement, if in the interim nothing happen, either in my morals or behaviour, to give you fresh offence. Give me but hope of this. Not absolutely to reject me is all the hope I ask for. And I will love you, if possible, still more than I ever loved you, and that for your sufferings. For well you deserve to be loved, even to adoration, who can, for honours and for virtues' sake, subdue a passion which common spirits, I speak by cruel experience, find invincible." and this at a time when the black offender kneels and supplicates, as I am well assured he does, all his friends likewise supplicating for him, to be forgiven. That you cannot forgive him, nor forgive him so as to receive him again to favour, is no wonder. His offence is against virtue. This is a part of your essence. What magnanimity is this! How just to yourself and to your spotless character! Is it any merit to admire more than ever a lady who can so exaltedly distinguish?' It is not. I cannot plead it. What hope have I left? May it be said, when my address was before rejected, now that your sufferings so nobly borne have, with all the good judges, exalted your character. Yet, madam, I have to pride myself in this, that while your friends, not looking upon you in the just light I do, persecute and banish you, while your state is withheld from you, and threatened, as I know, to be withheld, as long as the chicaning law or rather the chicaneries of its practices, can keep it from you, while you are destitute of protection, everybody standing aloof, either through fear of the injurer of one family, or of the hard-hearted of the other. I pride myself, I say, to stand forth and offer my fortune and my life at your devotion, with a selfish hope indeed. I should be too great and hypocrite not to own this, and I know how much you abhor insincerity. But whether you encourage that hope or not, accept my best services. I beseech you, madam, and be pleased to excuse me for a piece of honest art, which the nature of the case, doubting the honour of your notice otherwise, makes me choose to conclude with. It is this. If I am to be still the most unhappy of men, let your pen by one line tell me so. If I am permitted to indulge a hope, however distant, your silence shall be deemed by me the happiest indication of it that you can give, except that still happier, the happiest that can befall me, a signification that you will accept the tender of that life and fortune which it would be my pride and my glory to sacrifice in your service, leaving the reward to yourself. Be your determination as it may, I must for ever admire and love you, nor will I ever change my condition while you live, whether you change yours or not, for having once had the presumption to address you, I cannot stoop to think of any other woman. And this I solemnly declare in the presence of that God, whom I daily pray to bless and protect you, be your determination what it will with regard to, dearest Madam, your most devoted and ever affectionate and faithful servant, Alexander Wylie. End of letter 34